Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dine with the Divine. I'm your host, Ashley, and together we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, and everything in between. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about your friendly neighborhood healers and a Tennessee haunting. Today, I'm very excited. We have a fantastic guest. I have Stacey Williams-Ong. Stacey is a multidisciplinary artist and creator of the Southern Gothic Oracle and the Southern Botanical Oracle. A native Southerner from Memphis, Stacey takes great pride in researching the various traditions and legends of the South in order to add depth and meaning to her divination systems. She's been interested in magic, symbolism, esoteric folklore, and tarot for as long as she can remember. Stacy is also a mural painter and has painted murals in several cities. Quote, I like finding ways to make art accessible to everyone rather than just being a framed canvas in a room somewhere. Stacy is a 10th generation American Southerner, a mother of two, a tarot reader, a pretty decent cook, and a roller skater. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm all right. How are you, Ashley? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I always end up asking people, like you said in your bio, you've been doing, you've been interested in all these things for as long as you remember. Is there anybody that you feel in your life like inspired you to get into that? Or have you just grew up with this kind of curiosity for the magical end of things? Well, would it be weird if I said my imaginary friend? <laughs> no, that's it totally would fine. Be. Yeah, yes. no, it totally would be. Because you know what? I'm just going to go with it. Because even if it is weird, that's the truth. I... Oh. Here's the thing. I was brought up in a very strict Southern Baptist household. So Mm -hmm. nobody was talking about witchcraft in a good way or Mm. any kind of magic type stuff. But I was a weird little only child and I had an imaginary friend named Herman. And he was an older middle-aged man. And he was, he would sit with me while I would, because I played alone because I'm an only child. I'm playing with Barbies. I'm drawing. And I would just be talking away and it would just be me and Herman. And no one in our family was named Herman. There were no characters on TV named Herman. Like, where did I even come up with this? And I was totally attached to this. He was like an uncle, like a cool uncle. Yeah. And we never did figure out who he was. And I think I was a young adult before I was finally like, I think that was a spirit. Herman the spirit. Okay, Herman. I know. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I've now extensively researched my ancestry and I know my family tree and everything. So there are, there are no Hermans, but he might've been someone who lived in the house. He might've been a land spirit. I don't know. He could have been anybody, but I really liked him. I haven't seen him since, but I really liked him at the time. He was a nice man. Yeah. That's so sweet. I had imaginary friends too. And I also was like, I was an only child. I'm not an only child, but I was an only child till I was like eight. So... I think it was just like a thing. Yeah. And, but you couldn't tell me that also, this is really random. I used to think my dolls came alive at night. Of course they did. Yeah. And I used to be like very nice to them. Like I used to have a bed for like my stuffed animals and stuff. Not nice. So yeah, I think I love, I feel like we all need more of that child like wonder because it's good. And (laughs) I love it. And when did you discover that you were so talented in art? Did you always just like to draw or um, do other art? Drawing is not the only thing. There's other artistic stuff, but whatever you like to do. 
So here's the thing. I love to teach classes on creativity and I was like a college level instructor in graphic design. And so I have really oh. strong feelings about everybody being an artist. Oh. But you do ask a legitimate question. There, it's the thing about every, to me, every kindergartner is an artist. Every kindergartner mm-hmm. is an artist. There, you can't walk into a kindergarten class and typically find the kid who's the best at art. You ask the class, who in here is the best at art? Every damn kid in that room is going to raise their hand. (laughs) But then you go to like first grade, it's only been one year and it's half the class. And then you go to second grade and they're all like, oh, it's Ashley. Like it's that fast. It's that fast. And it's every kindergarten class everywhere. And this phenomenon to me is so interesting because something is happening right around that age of six of seven, or maybe it's not even the age. Maybe it's just like being in society and out of the comfort of your own home, like having to go into the world and sit in a classroom Mm -hmm. that makes us all start to doubt our ability to do stuff. So Mm. honestly, I think that kids, that it's a natural human thing to express yourself with writing, with drawing, this is why we have cave paintings. Like I could make the whole, honest to God, I could make the whole podcast about this and I'm not gonna, but I really feel strongly about this. I feel that we all can do it. It's a human ability, mm. but I think most of us just stop. I just didn't stop. That's it. Oh, wow. That makes sense. And also that makes a lot of sense too, because art is all about I'm not an artist, but this is from what I see on TV. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. (laughs) Like, I guess art is all about interpretation, right? Like, yeah. So it can literally be whatever you want it to be as long as you like. I remember when I was in school going to a museum. I think it was like the Princeton University Art Museum because I don't live far from there. And there was just like a white, like a red box. And I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, this is, like, it was a red, it looked like a red shoebox on the wall. And I was like, so what are we doing here? And then right. I just remember, yeah. But that's also your conditioning. You know what I, I mean? Know. We mm-hmm. have taken these artists and especially like white male artists, especially for centuries and just been like, that's what good painting is. And then we'll yeah. look at masks and be like, oh, that's just folk art. What? What are you talking about? Just because something is painted in photorealistic detail does not make it better than an abstract painting. I think an abstract painting in many cases is so much better. Look at the art of ancient Egypt or China, where mm-hmm. the whole idea of it being abstract is what's so mind-blowing about it. It's yeah. not only five lines, but I can tell it's an ox. Like, wow. And to me, it's It's like, I think we've just been so conditioned to be like, if it looks Roman or if it looks like it's from the Renaissance, in other words, if it looks old and white, it's good art. I don't Mm. know. Again, I'm taking the whole podcast in another direction because I just know and I care about this stuff so much. It's like murals are art, like cupcakes are art. That red box you saw is art. Like art Mm -hmm. is about it's a thing. It's like sexuality. You self-identify as an artist. Yeah. Okay. So when people say I'm an artist and all they do is like glue sequins on their sneakers, but then somebody who's really great at sculpting says, I'm not an artist. I'm not good enough. We've all seen this happen, right? So whether yeah. you're an artist or not, is it's about self-identification. Yeah. 
That is true. And you're not taking us anywhere that we shouldn't take it. Because, look, art to me. Yeah. (laughs) Because art is a real, art is, like, a real, art is in everything, right? Like, like you said, like, to me, yeah, like, when I looked at that red, when I looked at that red box, I was like, I don't get it. And then I remember, also, we had these, I think it was a Smithsonian, and there was just this, like, marble circle. And I was like, cool. But I don't, I didn't get it. Was it cool? Yeah, it was cool that somebody just carved this perfectly beautiful marble circle and it was just like a ring. But I was like, I don't get it. But then I look at people who like do like, I saw, a, like you're talking about sequins on sneakers, which I think is awesome. And then like, yes. And then I saw somebody who was doing like just embroidering different Converse shoes with little flowers. That's awesome. So it just, yeah, you're right. Everybody is an artist. I guess it just, Depends on you can look at somebody like Rembrandt and it's like, we're told you're right. We're all conditioned. We're told that's good. This is the same way. Okay. I'm going to sound really rude right now, but like <laughs> when people talk about Salvador Dali, I don't like his paintings. They make me uncomfortable. And people exactly. are like, yeah, he's one of the greatest artists. And he's I'm like, a me. genius. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he is, I'm... but all the melting is upsetting me. Like, I, I know. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not such a blockhead that if you took me to a museum that I would be the one that every single thing would be like, but actually it's all art. I'm not that bad. I totally will go to a museum and be like, ew, we're not even going in there. That's stupid. Uh, But that's because that's actually just drives my point home even more because I think everything is art. Like my son, when we used to go to museums and he was really little, it was so funny. Like we would be going through the hallway to go into another gallery and he would look Mm -hmm. at the chair or the bench and be like, mommy, is that art? And I'd be like, is that a philosophical question or do you need to sit down? He's like, you need to sit down. I'd be like, it's not art, babe. Just sit on the, just sit on the bench. It's fine. You can sit here. Um, yes, but even my little children were like, "Mommy's weird. You have to ask her if it's art or not." <laughs> but there's yes, because people who are carpenters who make all sorts of cool stuff, they're artists. That's totally. some yeah, that's a talent, and that's something not everybody can do. And people do things with wood because you know that's their what you would call it. That's their way of doing their medium. Yes. And you know what? To segue back into magic, this is actually what got me into witchcraft, was doing okay. art. Because oh. for a long time, I completely, like I said, I'm a, I said this, I'm a recovering evangelical. And there were many years that I was just an atheist, which I don't really look at those years as being, they are freer than the years I was growing up evangelical, but I don't know if they were necessarily happier. And mm-hmm. I needed to find my way back into a spirituality that I could work with in mm-hmm. order to just be fulfilled as a person. And as I was working towards that journey, art was my religion, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I wow. used to say that when people were like, oh, do you go to church or whatever? If that question ever came up, which never ask people that. Um, <laughs> but when people <laughs> did ask that sort of thing or say, oh, you're an atheist, but you're a spiritual person. Any kind of inquiry, I would respond with, well, art's my religion. Yeah. And that got me through a long period of my life, actually. That gave me a lot. And now art is still, I think, a big part of my practice. It's a form of magic that I use. That is how I manifest my dreams. I love that. That's so beautiful. And look, and it it makes sense throughout the centuries of the world, people use art to express how they felt about the non-physical plane or the, 
their creator creators or gods goddesses whatever so that makes perfect sense and that's such a cool way to connect with that part of you i love that you're just doing it all the time so cool like sigils (laughs) are like that i don't actually practice with sigils but anytime you're actually like taking something and making it with your hands i feel like candle magic in many ways is like that too Anytime people are using, which is why I love folk magic so much, not just because I'm Southern, but there's something in me where cooking and touching plants and foods and sauces and paint and messy things, (laughs) just being dirty and doing stuff, it's just such a huge part of our existence down here, but also my existence as a person. So all that stuff, making stuff. Yeah, that's how I feel about gardening. Like, yeah. I love to garden. I'm not really good at it, but, like, I like doing it. Same. And when I put, yeah, when I put my hands in the dirt, you, like, feel, you're like, I feel this. Like, I'm one with everything right now. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm going to grow something. Like, this is wild. So, yeah. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know. I love that. Okay. So. We're going to go, because we have a lot to talk about today. We're going we're gonna to go and we're going to talk about our dish of the week. So this week, our dish of the week, I did something different. I've done it before. But you said you're from Memphis? Yeah. Okay. So I found this I found this list, and it's called the Memphis Bucket Food List. And Uh-oh. it's Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. We, Memphis, <laughs> Memphians have big opinions on this. I might rant. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay so then <laughs> i love it these are seven things or and places i guess restaurants too places that you need to eat before you die according I'm to so this ready i'm <laughs> so ready for the barbecue i'm so ready for the barbecue you don't even know Let's go. so there's so much barbecue happening yes so the first things is okay so this is the dish so it is honey gold wings what they talk about I don't know. That's what it's on. That's what's on here. I'm not from Memphis. I just read an article. And it's you saying no. Kind of Yankee tourist fuckery. Honey gold. You get that at the grocery store. Anybody can get that at the grocery store. What are they even talking about? Stop torturing. Next. Okay. Okay, honey gold wings are canceled for right now. We're not talking about that anymore. So then we have this is a barbecue joint. So this is cozy corner barbecue. No. 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 Please. (laughs) Lord Jesus. No. Okay. Like, like top 10. Not even like top 10. I could give you 10 right now. I could drop and give you 10. And Cozy Corner wouldn't even make 11. Oh, no. <laughs> not Cozy Corner. No okay. Way. Cozy Corner is also canceled, so we can't do it, even though they said you can get some Cornish hen there. And some... <laughs> Memphis person is eating Cornish hen. I don't know. <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) Oh my god! Okay. White and I know this. Like Jesus Christ. Anyway, go on. 
oh no i'm so nervous okay oh. <laughs> so then the next one we have arcade restaurant yes okay i'll give you that okay okay it says it's one of the oldest restaurants in memphis no it and is they- the oldest oh okay it's the oldest okay and they say the food is incredible they have the classic elvis which is oh no the food's not oh, that the food's good terrible no it's oh terrible. okay but you just sorry you arcade just... i love you i love going there i love bringing my friends when they come out of town arcade if you're listening big props but there's way too much butter in the grits like y'all need to hold back uh. they need to hold back <laughs> grits are not supposed to be soup it's yeah. a consistency that makes grits perfect you have to, and if it's cheese grits, you want it to be like rich and thick. And if it's got cream mm. in it, you want it to pour from the spoon a little bit. Like it needs to stick to the spoon, but pour a little bit. This is like grits soup, like floating in butter. And I can't okay. it up. However, <laughs> the environment's adorable because it's the okay. oldest one. And you walk yeah. in and the vibe is there and it's on South Main. And it's like in the whole like cool area where the Ida B. Mm. Wells statue is and the Amtrak station and. It's got this whole vibe going on. So I feel like atmosphere is important. No, atmosphere is very important. I have to say, okay, I have, I don't know anything about grits. I've Um, had grits like once in my life. I literally had that for breakfast this morning. That's what I had this morning for breakfast. I think I've had grits once in my life. And I was like, I don't, I was in New Orleans. So oh, okay. I was like, okay, I feel like this should be legit. We were, I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but we went somewhere and I was like, okay, this is fine. But it was just like, I also am like a weird consistency person. So I'm like, yeah, this is well, a little gritty. And that's why it's supposed to be perfect. Like grits yeah. is supposed to be like this perfect porridge. That's just, it's really just polenta. Mm. Go into a fancy Italian restaurant and get polenta. That's mm. what grits is. It's just a little like more saucy than that, but Anyway, it's just funny to me because I think New Orleans wouldn't be a perfect place to get grits, believe it or not. I know it's Southern, but New Orleans Mm -hmm. has a really strong French Creole culture, right? And so there's a lot of Caribbean food that came in, Haitian food, obviously, French food. But but grits is more of a Mississippi Delta, Ozark type situation. Okay. All right. All right. Because there wasn't a lot of corn growing down in the New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. They have the classic Elvis sandwich there, apparently, with peanut butter and banana sandwich that I don't know. Not my thing, but maybe it's somebody's. That's fine. Fun fact about me. My dad and Elvis went to high school together. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I was a great consumer guy. Oh, my gosh. Really? (laughs) Yeah, so... You don't need to go to a restaurant to make a peanut butter and banana sandwich. That's the whole point of poor people food. You need two slices of Wonder Bread, you need a banana, and you need some Jif peanut butter. That's all you need. Yeah. I, oh, that's just me. I don't know how it tastes good, but whatever. It's good. I, no, it is good. I didn't know it was an Elvis thing. I grew up and everybody just ate that in their houses. It was either peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and bananas. It's just interesting. Yeah. Okay. I do like peanut butter and I do like bananas. So maybe I'll try you one try day. It. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll get up the chutzpah to do it. Okay. Then we have, all right, don't scream at me, Stacey. Then we have Central Barbecue. No. Okay. Never mind. We're canceling yeah, also, it. The service is terrible. Central, you oh, are. Oh, so okay. Beautiful. I'm going to tell okay. you, the barbecue is on Lamar and it's Payne's. P A Y N E S. Payne's okay. Barbecue. It's a shack, uh-huh. 
and it's always got a long line and it's been family mm. owned for generations. It's black owned. It's just amazing. And here's the funny thing about paints other than just like how great the barbecue is. That's not funny, mm-hmm. but extremely serious. But they, <laughs> they put green food coloring in the slaw. So it's like their thing. So when you go, oh. like, you get this amazing barbecue sandwich. So just like make, my mouth's watering just talking about it. Uh, <laughs> It's like tower of a barbecue sandwich. And then you get your little bowl, plastic bowl of beans and your little plastic bowl of slaw. And it's like neon green. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) The slaw is okay. But the barbecue Mm. is just knock your socks off. Great. Yes. Okay. This is so random. But I like randomly was on Netflix one night, like doing stuff. So I was like, what can I put on in the background? And I think I started putting on like this barbecue competition show yeah i don't okay i have a barbecue that i just make hot dogs or whatever on this yeah. is a whole situation oh, i yeah. also have, yeah, I have a friend in my knitting group who's from texas and yeah. her and her husband do like barbecue but she was explaining too about like texas and how it's like a situation i oh, yeah, no, swear that's beef I, barbecue De- texas is their thing and memphis is our thing and first, okay. also, Texas is bigger than France, and Memphis is only a city. But yeah. Texas does beef barbecue. They're all about brisket. Their brisket is amazing, and it's great. Yes. You don't get really great brisket in Memphis unless you're going to an actual – there's some displaced Texans living here. Then you'll get it. Yeah, yeah. But we do oh. pork barbecue and also chicken, okay. but mostly like pork barbecue. We fry the chicken. Mm. We barbecue the pork. That's the Memphis <laughs> thing. It's like bar the whole culture of I didn't realize it was like a subculture of people who are yes. just like really into barbecuing shit and yes. like the, the smoker and the type of wood. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. The families brine. break up over this. Like, <laughs> it is way bigger of a deal. If I am not expressing, I don't. Words fail me to express what a big deal it is down here and I'm a wordy person like it is a lot and people and it's so funny to just go on Facebook and find any post that even if it's from a national source some tourism like 24 hours in Memphis Tennessee or whatever find one of those and then find any recommendation on barbecue they say go to the rendezvous go to central go to whatever and you will just find hundreds and hundreds of scathing comments <laughs> Memphis people just losing their mind, cussing and like memes and like middle finger and this magazine. (laughs) Unsubscribe to a magazine. ago i had to draw a line in the sand i had to pick a team i had to pick a team and here's the thing ashley i actually have two barbecue places because you have to be able to defend who has the best sandwich but you also have to be able to defend who has the best ribs it's not the same place it's not and so people have two so a lot of people might be like yeah okay central's okay for the ribs fine but you ain't getting a sandwich there you know this sounds like a very (laughs) this is like everybody's it's it sounds like this is 
people's okay we're having a party and like we're all just chit-chatting and once everyone starts drinking a bit more it starts to devolve into where's your favorite barbecue place and then people start getting rowdy (laughs) yes my best friend had her wedding reception not reception but rehearsal dinner at rendezvous in memphis and i don't even think you could do that in today's climate i don't think you could pick a barbecue restaurant (laughs) that families could show up to and be civil (laughs) you'd have at least one auntie i go to rendezvous I love that. I just, I'm just imagining like a family member being like, "Oh, getting married! Oh my god, I'm so excited! Where's their? Oh no! Oh no, we can't go there. No, their chicken is dry yeah. or Who whatever." Is she the- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why would they let them do this? So then the other one we have. Okay, we have three more. This one is not a barbecue place. This one is Gibson's Donuts. Yes. Okay. A thousand times yes. <laughs> So Gibson's Donuts, apparently it's open 24 hours a day. Yes, girl, it is. Okay. It's there for your every need. Yeah. (laughs) If anything could bring me back to religion, it would be Gibson's Donuts. (laughs) Tempt you back to evangelicalism. Donuts. (laughs) We have the donuts. It's like that line in Walking in Memphis where she says, tell me, are you a Christian child? And he's, ma'am, I am tonight. It's going to be like that. <laughs> oh, my God. And then uh, we have Gus's fried chicken. See? Okay. So I was going to slip that in because I don't know what this okay. bullshit about the honey gold chicken is. <laughs> but I was going to be like, no, it's Gus's. It's Gus's. Yes. Gus's fried chicken. Okay. Gus's. And then the last one we have is Dyer's. I mean... Maybe. It, it's not. It it's... <clears throat> okay, so here's the thing about Dyer's. Dyer burgers mm-hmm. are these like flat little hamburgers smushed up like little country burgers. Mm-hmm. Dad loved them. Elvis loved them. They take this little tiny scrawny little patty of beef and they deep fry it in grease. And then oh. they put it on the bun. I know. With mayonnaise. Because, you know, there wasn't enough fat content <laughs> in the ground beef and the grease. So once it goes on the white bread, you might lose some because it's absorbent. So they slather it with mayonnaise. <laughs> and you might lose some of the fat. It. It's the original smash burger. Then they smush okay. it down and then they give it to you. And apparently there was a parade way before I was born. This was like in the 1960s. <clears throat> mm. They opened a new location and they took the vat of grease and carried it in a procession with like horses and dancing ladies wow. down the street because they didn't want to get fresh grease you they never the whole thing was they never clean out the grease pot Ooh. so i leave it okay. to you do you want to try one of these burgers let's see i don't <laughs> no I don't. no i'm no. not I i've think... seen them with my eyes i'm not interested in ingesting a dire burger with that story and yeah and it says okay mm, this is making me think so the titanic Sank in 1912, and that's apparently when they opened Dyer. So I don't want to eat, like, 100-plus-year-old grease. Not for me. No, (laughs) ma'am. Good. Pass. I'm fine. Hard pass. Thank you. Not when you could be eating Garson's fried chicken. 
Yeah, I'm seeing. I'm going to Gus's. I'm going to Gibson's. I'm going to Payne's. Is that the place you told yes, me? Yes, ma'am. Yes. All right. And I'm going to put a link to Payne's in the show notes because I guess everyone yes. needs to don't go to these other places, guys. Stacey says absolutely not. And I trust her because Good. I feel like we're friends now. So don't yes. trust her. Don't tr- trust her. Don't trust these people. Don't trust Dyer's <laughs> No, don't. Mm, that grease is no. It's old, and we don't need. If you want a legit, like old school Memphis hamburger, though, it's Ernestine and Hazel's. Ernestine and Hazel's was a juke joint, and what's so cool? Mm. It still is. And what was so cool about it was one of the original juke joints, and it says Ernestine and Hazel's Sundry Shop, which was not true, but that was so they could have the whorehouse in the back and everything. So they posed as a sundry shop, and so the existing old sign says Ernestine and Hazel's Sundry Shop is still there. But it's always oh. been a juke joint. And there's like bullet holes in the wall and all these great stories. Nice. And they have, yeah. And they have a burger that they, I think it's called the Soul Burger. I feel like it's the mm. Soul Burger because Memphis Soul. But it's, it also is 24 hours. So you can walk in there at three in the morning. God help you if you're downtown at three in the morning in Memphis and you're walking in <laughs> and the Hazel's. But I've done it and the burger's good. <laughs> <laughs> Real good. <laughs> A soul burger and a cold beer at three in the morning, you're all set. Yeah, I feel like if I'm walking around, first of all, how did I get to Memphis? I don't know. But I feel like if I'm there at 3 a.m., that's what I want is a burger and a beer, please. Yes. (laughs) Sounds great. In a historic juke joint. Yeah, in a juke joint with some bullet holes that probably have some awesome stories attached to it. That sounds awesome to me. This has been an amazing food tour of Memphis, everybody. And I'm so excited. <laughs> like, <laughs> get down to Memphis and go to all these places. Ernestine Hazel's and Payne's and on Gibson's. We're going. All right. This is a part of the show where I'm going to plug myself real quick. So if you guys like the show, you can keep listening to it. That's great. You can also give me a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to us. You can follow me on online socials at Dine with the Divine on Instagram. I'm Dine with the Divine on Facebook. And I think I'm on TikTok. And I think I finally figured out how to use it a bit. So you can check that out. And if you have any questions or anything you want to email me, Email me at dinewithadivinepod at gmail.com. That's that part. Okay. So now we're going to go to our tea time where we're just going to learn something. And today what we're going to learn about is these granny women of the South. So it's, I had read about this happening a lot. I read about a while ago, granny midwives, like, Mm -hmm. which were also a lot of those times it was like predominantly in like black communities because people couldn't afford to go to the hospitals or there were all sorts of issues. But then I they also found... Yeah, they weren't allowed to go to the hospitals is what it exactly. was. Exactly. Yeah, there yeah. is that too. And all these different things. But then I also yeah. found <clears throat> about in general, granny women. So this is also really, this was a really popular thing in Appalachia. Yes. Yes. So this is a quote from a book. And I put this, all these quotes in the show notes. So granny women were... I can never say this word. They were there to be healers and midwives in Southern Appalachia and the Ozarks, claimed by a few academics as practicing from the 1880s to the 1930s. They were theorized to be usually elder women in the community and may have been the only practitioners of healthcare in poor rural areas of Southern Appalachia. They often, they were often thought not to have expected or received payment and were respected as authorities on herbal healing and childbirth. There's a 
bunch of different books written about them too. Yeah, so they were usually, like we said, the older women of the community, but usually the knowledge had been passed down through generations. Yes. Um, yes. And then uh, most of these women had a lot of knowledge about like herbs and also when it came to childbirth and things like that. And some of these areas were very poor or they were also in the mountains. So it was hard to get to the nearest town, like big yes. town or hospital. So these places really relied on these people. Yeah. I can tell you about three categories, those mm-hmm. women. Yes. So if we're going to divide them by region. So I'll start with Memphis because this is where I'm from. And where my, where my, the most recent century of my family are from here. But before that, mm-hmm. they were in uh, Southern Appalachia and in the Ozarks. Depends on which side of my family we're talking about. And in Memphis, Memphis is also known as Mojo City. Memphis Mm -hmm. is, even today, 70% Black. It was where cotton was traded, right? So, Mm -hmm. And it was a Union stronghold during the Civil War. So if you look at Memphis's history, Memphis history, I've heard many people say Memphis history is Black history, or Black history Mm -hmm. is Memphis history. Because Beale Street was the first commercial strip for African Americans in the country after the war, even starting before the war. Yeah, so Beale Street even predates Harlem and everything. So we have some really amazing, one of my favorite things to encourage people to do here is not just go to the Civil Rights Museum, which is great, but also really research what was going on in the 1850s and 60s and 70s, because it's just Mm -hmm. a fascinating history of black America really getting a foothold into having a commercial presence. But when that was happening, hospitals were not available. So Memphis was not rural by any stretch of the imagination. Memphis was the capital of this side of the South. Like Atlanta Mm. was the capital over there in like the Gone with the Wind situation kind of thing. (laughs) And then over here on the Mississippi River, the Mark Twain situation. Just use like pop culture references to help people. Help all y'all Yankees, like, picture geography. Okay, so over here, we're like... helping me. Yeah, yeah, it's like Mark Twain, the river, all that stuff. And then over in Atlanta, it was more rich people. Memphis wasn't so much mansions and, oh, Scarlet. It wasn't, we don't have to be, it wasn't like that. It wasn't rural. It was like a dirty, busy city, okay? Mm -hmm. So picture that. It's either half-half or black majority. And so it's Mm -hmm. always had this very strong black culture presence. And so women who were and who are herbal healers here were almost always black women. And because Mm. of the Trail of Tears, there weren't a lot of all the indigenous women had been had been run out. So we really Mm -hmm. worked down. We had been a triracial society and we moved into being basically a biracial society during those years. So the black Mm. women very much were healers. Now, if we look at Ozarks and Appalachia, those are two very far flung places. These people weren't talking to each other. Mm. They were either completely illiterate or they were just so remote that they wouldn't even know each other, typically, unless they're family. But these are hill folk and hill folk Mm. were not just white, but like a very particular variety of white people, which were mostly Scotch Irish. So they came from these traditions of Scotland and all these traditions of the fairy folk and Scottish tradition and just all those things like celebrating Beltane and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they were more in touch with indigenous people. So the women Mm -hmm. are talking. All three of these groups, one thing they share in common is poverty and lack of access Mm -hmm. to services. And so they did share information. I'm not saying there's not horrific racism that we can't even imagine in today's day and age, like unforgivably bad. 
However, people mm. need to survive and when they need to save their relatives from a horrible disease or rash or fever, they start asking each other questions and suddenly yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the racism stuff disappears when they're like, please, is there any soup I can use? Just please. Yeah. They're like, I could hate you for your color or I could die. <laughs> or we could actually just develop a human connection for five minutes. Yeah. Oh, people. Historic people are so gross. But anyway, so they were sharing recipes. And that's how we get a lot of these granny women. I'm descended from granny women in the Ozarks. There was, okay. I know of at least one, possibly a second candidate, but I know of one for sure who was like straight out of a storybook. She was called Granny Woods because she lived mm. in the woods. And oh. her name was Eliza, but hardly anybody knew that. But Granny Woods was this old widow woman who lived in a cabin. She raised one of my cousins basically as a... I don't know, just like a, almost like a Cinderella type character. She was very cruel to her and made her just do all the labor around the house, around the cabin. Mm. But they provided all the medical remedies for the whole region. People came from miles around. Wow. It's so interesting the way people survived when they were like, this is the only thing we can do. Mm -hmm. We don't have a choice. Like mm -hmm. we all have to rely on each other in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I love how it is usually women. Like yes. women are, yes, women are usually the keepers of the knowledge. Yes. In, the, in these cases, it's not, it's not men. It's always women who are like the ones mm -hmm. going around. And I think it has, I personally think it has a lot to do too with the danger of being a woman in terms of like childbirth. And a lot of it, I feel like has to do with the danger of how men treat women if they aren't okay to do stuff. Okay, what I mean is like, for instance, and this happened all over the world, women who got pregnant and they couldn't be pregnant. It was like, we can't, I can't have this baby. There was always healers and quote unquote, people call them witches and things to help people not be pregnant because they mm -hmm. knew that these women would face maybe incredible violence. You'd be ostracized if they had a baby or if they were known to be pregnant. I just love how women were just like, oh, we're going to fix this. Like throughout yeah. The, yeah, throughout centuries, yeah. they just kept fixing it. And then they just knew, you know, it, it's tough out here for the women folk. So it is. We're going to, yeah, we're going to help. And then what childbearing is super dangerous if you really think about it. And so there had to be somebody to know what we do if this woman starts bleeding too much, if the baby is breached, if it's been 42 weeks and she hasn't had it yet. Like we got to know what tea for her to drink and what herbs yes. to rub on her and you know how to do it. It's I crazy. Just love there was like layers of danger because then there's danger yeah. in healing them. Because if you yes. heal somebody... Like you, there could, I love in movies when they actually, I feel, it seems to me like accurately depict it where there's like a sick male child, they mm -hmm. call in a female doctor or healer and she comes in and she heals him. But then the priest comes in and says, how did you do that? That is magic. Yeah. That is witchcraft. <laughs> and then this poor woman's carted off and burned at the stake. And I'll be watching <laughs> a show like that and be like, yeah, show them. Show them how they treat the people who helped. Seriously. And it happened. A lot, which one interesting thing too, and you just brought this up about a lot of these people being like Scott Irish. Mm -hmm. Also, it was very at that time in these areas, 
It was very entwined with the local religion. So in some cases, what I read from these different accounts, it's like if a, if one of these quote granny healers took it a little too far, then she was a witch. But if she was just like going to church and being like chill about it and like yes. not, then it was like, oh yeah, she's just really special. Yes. <laughs> it's still like that in Memphis. I read tarot at a hoodoo shop and mm. it is, it is, it's a space where they sell, we sell, er, I say we, it's not my store. I just am the reader, but they mm -hmm. sell herbs and they sell candles and they sell other remedies. And you can also, you can get things that lean more towards the witchcraft. If I were to use the 2023 definition of witchcraft as mm -hmm. like you'll find on TikTok, which is more like experimenting <laughs> with all this stuff. But yes. here they would not call that witchcraft. They would just call that working like either root work or yeah. just doing the work, just working. It's just called working. We're not gonna call it anything weird. And it's only when you start to practice what they'll call black magic, which is when you're hexing someone. If you're actually yes. putting some kind of a working on them that's supposed to keep them away from your lover, it's supposed to make them lose their court case, those kinds of quote unquote hexes, you're much more likely to be called a witch, a witch doctor or witchcraft or devil worship if you're doing mm -hmm. something that adversely affects someone or is meant to anyway, has that intent. Yeah. But if you're doing a goddess bath or if you're blessing a baby or if you're praying for rain or something like that, and actually a lot of people use the Psalms, they actually use mm -hmm. the Bible as spells. So I guess what I'm getting at is what a lot of people today on places like TikTok are calling witchcraft or folk magic mm -hmm. is not what the actual practitioners are calling it. They yeah. are doing things that are descended directly from either Celtic and Scottish traditions or African traditional religions or both. And then they've mm -hmm. woven it into Christianity to be like, see, we're just regular Christian ladies, just like y'all. We're just burning <laughs> some candles and stuff. That's all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it because they were just like, probably just cute little women. Yes. <laughs> Don't come over here and I'm look at my cabinet. With the devil? What do you mean? It's <laughs> not. I know. I'm not running around naked <laughs> under the full moon. It's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bible's right here. I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love this. So everything again, I'm just re-emphasizing everything you just said. These women were part healers, part witch, and part prophetess. They would oh, they also had really important they were also very important to the whole community because they didn't just do cool witchcrafty shit and like cool workings they also they like we just talked about they're delivering babies they're helping people who are sick again these people are living in areas where they're poor and also isolated from big city hospitals or mm -hmm. they may have a local doctor but maybe not a big a bigger whatever you would call in the past like a bigger medical kind of system they don't right. have that or they don't have access to get there quickly if somebody's actually really sick. So they would also tend to people who are dying. That was part of their job. They were some of the first people after the indigenous people to start employing the different herbs in Appalachia. And they, like you said, Stacey already, they learned some from the indigenous people, but they also brought a lot of that Scott-Irish knowledge that they had and we're like, okay, what's similar to everything that we had there? Exactly. We yeah. used to see St. John's wort or whatever. St. John's wort grocery. Yeah. That's a bad example. But they would know of a plant 
And they would describe it and be like, we need something for rheumatism. We used to smoke this thing. Yeah. We used to rub this on the skin. Do you have anything like that? So they already yes. have basic knowledge, but they're on a new landmass with completely different native plants. Exactly. So they started to confer with the other air groups when they were not fighting. They would be mm -hmm. like, hey, you indigenous person, did you guys use this? Indigenous people were like, we actually use this. They're like, that works. And they would yes. just do whatever worked. Yeah. And then the indigenous people of that area were the Cherokee and the Choctaw. People right. in a lot of these, yeah, in, the, in Appalachia. Appalachia is big. Like, I didn't realize. Yes, it's huge. Been... It goes all the way up to Pennsylvania. It's not just a southern thing. That's why they say southern Appalachia. That's when you're getting into, like, Kentucky and Tennessee, the lower foothills of the of Yes. The yeah. Yes. And I, I mentioned this before on a different episode. I watch a lot of Outlander. Claire. I, <laughs> yes. That's exactly who I was talking about when Claire goes to help that little boy. Yes. I don't remember what season it was. She has yes. this kid and then they go. Anyway, love that show. Exactly. And then when they like kidnapped her because they, because she was helping women if they didn't want to have a kid, she's, oh, this is what you do if you don't want to get pregnant. And they're like, mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, Which is leave so Claire real, alone. And that's exactly what they would have done. Yeah. I know. She's, I literally just want women to have agency over their own bodies. And they're like, what? Which? <laughs> they're like, terrible. <laughs> She's supposed to be pregnant all the time. Also, okay, Outlander, real quick. Outlander, to me, and if you read a lot of accounts, like, it's kind of like the rough, like, of course, it's like this beautiful romantic story, and the main characters are all gorgeous people. But, like, when you see them get to Appalachia, the struggles they're going through are very real. It's not easy out here when you're like, Move. They like settled in America. They're dealing with all this stuff. Obviously, they're having issues with the indigenous people because the indigenous people are like, Jesus Christ, why are all you people coming exactly. and messing our life up? Yeah. 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 They're not too happy, and we all understand why. So it's very, yeah. <laughs> it's very, though, like you do get a sense of what it was for these people and like why I feel like when I read about and you hear about Southern Appalachian people are so tough. I'm like, this yeah. is why. I was like, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're like not a it's... group of people to be fucked with. They're like, no, we've been dealing with this shit for centuries. <laughs> there are wild boar outside. There are rattlesnakes <laughs> in the house. There are no hospitals. Like, <laughs> where do I even start? <laughs> Every single thing is hard. Going to the bathroom is terrifying. Everything is terrifying all the time, 24-7. Just trying to just, stay alive and have food to eat. Oh my god! I'm like they're in the mountains. They all gotta get together and make candles every day because there's so many. Day. There's no lights. I'm so tired of making candles. <laughs> I'm like, damn. And it's like a lot of the time these people were illiterate because they didn't have the resources and things for having a strong educational system at the time. So think about this, that these women, these granny healers are memorizing all this shit. They just, they know offhand. They don't have the herbal academy online that they can go look up. Right. This is for, they just know, they have to memorize everything and then pass down all of this information to other people so that their generations can survive. Like these women 
were resourceful as fuck. Like they were oh, good. Yeah. Just superheroes. Like just yeah. absolute superheroes. And then take that and multiply it times 70 bazillion times for the enslaved women <laughs> who only can wander. First of all, they can't talk to anyone unless maybe they're allowed to talk to others in like the neighboring land plantations. But then you've got all you've got. Maybe you don't know any indigenous people who are going to teach you anything mm. in the house. Don't know shit. So yes. you basically have to just wander around and munch on a bunch of herbs when you do have five minutes to go explore and start yes. to find things that might help with moisturizing your skin, a rash, a fever, childbirth. Yes. And you're just figuring it out with what's there on the land you're permitted to be on. It's so limiting yes. as to be like mind blowing. I feel like I would just die of yeah. terror, frustration, ignorance. I would just lay down and die. And to think that people live their whole lives solving problems this unsolvable is just too much to even imagine. It's too much. Yeah, it's it's so great. It's bad enough to be like poor and sick and your family member's sick and you don't know what to do. But then you're also poor, right. a slave, <laughs> and right. you're sick. Imprisoned. <laughs> Literally, you cannot do oh. what you'd like. Like, it's just, it's, it's too just, much. It, was, it was rough it's out here much. for everybody. Yes. Yeah, these people are all heroes. I don't care if they're assholes, they're heroes. Everyone was yes. a hero, period. <laughs> yes. Period. They're doing a lot. And and then we even talked about on a previous episode too, how a lot of, not a lot of, but the slaves who could would find seeds and they would bring them over. That's why we have okra in the South. Okra. It's not native. Yep. Yeah, it's not native, but they brought it because they were like, we really, this stuff, we're getting yeah. kidnapped. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> I believe that people braided it into their hair. Oh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and I can't that prove that. They can't prove it. They don't know how they brought it over. But clothes might have been. I've been allowed. Certainly, bags are not allowed. So how do you yes. bring something? It's. I yeah. think that one of the theories is that maybe women braided again. Women. It's always women. It's women solving, saving the day. Yeah, and they I knew that, that plants were going to be a major part of their survival, and their. It's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's really. Oh my god! I like, know it's too much. These, it's too much. These ancestors, they really did the best they could. Let's. So, what else was I going to say about these wonderful people that we haven't said? Just that they're awesome, mostly. I'm just trying to find if there's any really good quotes we got. This is why I feel so strongly about ancestor veneration. Because mm -hmm. I just feel like, first of all, it's other than modern Americans and really anyone from a modern Western society has lost touch with this, but otherwise it is a pretty universal practice. Human beings have always yeah. venerated their ancestors and recognize that because of how time passes and how we get new technologies and new abilities, that we always have it better off than they did. Yes. At any given point in time, even in the 1500s, they had it better off than in the 900s. Like it just always gets a little bit better. And yes. so it's if you're really thinking about and having conversations like we're having about how hard it was for the people who made our lives possible, mm -hmm. it's hard not to be grateful and want to spend some time like spiritually meditating on that. I think about that. Like some, I sometimes get into these things that I'm like, how is everybody not not insanely amazed by this and that's one of my things i think about like people like you're talking about you have an ancestor who's a granny woman and i think of my ancestors and what they must have 
dealt with and i'm just like jesus christ thank you yeah (laughs) i can't imagine i think it's even more you feel it sometimes as a woman or as a femme person i really think you can think of the other women in your history in your life and i'm not saying not men too but i'm just saying people who went through incredibly difficult stuff and the farther back, like you're saying, the farther back, it was probably worse. And yeah. I feel that way too. For queer people, it's the same thing. Right. We all have queer yeah. ancestors who like maybe were not able to be who they were. And it's like, how difficult was it for them? But they still lived so we could live. Right. It's just, thank you for yes. doing that. Like, I know that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes me not want to complain about anything in my life. That's why I say I'm such a happy person because I really feel like, yeah. I just feel like in comparison, nothing I'm going through, even all the stupid tech issues I had to deal with today that got me frustrated, are nothing. (laughs) They're just literally nothing. I'm in this comfortable house. I have toilet paper's been invented. It's just, everything's great. It's great. It's great. I know. Can I tell you something really weird that I think about sometimes? Yes. Okay. I think about, (laughs) like, when people, like, had their period back in the day. Like, I get my period at work. I have period products. I'm able to afford that. And I'm still like, oh, this is gross. Like, this is the don't worst deal ever. Yeah. This is nasty. I don't really want to deal with this right now. I'm at work. I'd rather be on my couch laying down. Like, But yeah. I'm like, damn, Like my ancestors just got their period when maybe they were just like cooking all day for their family or like working in a field they just got their period and had to do i'm like how did they deal with that i'm literally at work in an air-conditioned building with period with pads and i'm like oh i'm so selfish you know what i think to build on that i'm like i'm gonna yes and that Yes, yes and i remember that i'm lucky to be getting my period Because I read Mm. somewhere, this is a little fact that blew my brains out, which was that women like pre-18th, 19th century might only get five or six periods in a lifetime. And I was like, what? Because they're always pregnant. That's why. And then they're lactating. I know, right? See, I see your mind being blown. My brain melted when I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So basically you start oh, no. you start getting raped when you're a teenager because duh, that's mm. the world we live in. So yeah, you're already being terrible. raped when you're like 13, 14. So you end mm. up pregnant by 14, 15, then you're pregnant again, then you're pregnant again. Then maybe you're not for three years, but you're lactating. So oh, periods were super God. rare in ancient times. And apparently that's something that scientists have had to wrap their minds around is that women now get their periods every month for 30 years or something. Whereas before they didn't. So it's that's like, so crazy. Yeah. Damn. And you think that goes into a lot of other things because there's been a lot of studies too on, you know, they call like pe- women who are like 35. Oh, they're, what do they call Geriatric like (laughs) birthing people yes but now they said okay actually those studies that say it's 35 is a cutoff was done in like the 1600s on a bunch of women who lived in like poor areas of france and it was like not really yeah it was like and they were like 35 is it but first of all we don't know what they were eating we don't know how many kids they had we don't know what their health was like so i don't know how it like 400 years ago we're still basing geriatric maternal age on one study 
Oh my god, it, the like, nutrition alone would be so much better now. Yes, it's so Completely different. different. Yeah. And so that's why now they haven't done anything about it. But a lot of the newer studies are trying to tell people like, actually, it's like 40s when it really drops mm-hmm. off. But they're like, even at 40, you're still all right for a couple of years if you really want to have a child. But yeah, it, how old it's was just Janet Jackson? I feel like Janet was like 50 something when she just had that she was baby. Like, yeah, I think she was. I think she was 50. Janet was Janet. fine. Yeah, Janet's fine. Look, if Janet can do it, you can do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, oh, the other one important thing I saw here is that because the because Appalachia is mountainous, this is the Appalachian Mountains is what we're talking about. That actually physicians would charge more to go oh. there because it was harder to get to these people, mm-hmm. these different Appalachian towns. So most of the families ended up not, even if they could afford it, now they're being upcharged and it would be worse for them. So another reason they couldn't deal with that. We um, haven't talked about my Southern Gothic Oracle deck, but what, you know, that, talk that about whole it. Oracle is, sure, I just, you reminded me, <laughs> it's a good segue, because the each card in the deck is based on some aspect of Southern folklore or practice here. Oh. One of the cards is the axe, and the axe card represents lessening or anything being reduced. So when you pull it in a reading, it's, oh, you might read, you might pull a card about strength, but you, if you pull the axe card, it's, it's lessened that the meaning of that card, like maybe not so much strength. Hmm. And, but the reason I did that card, and you'll read about this in the booklet that comes with the deck, is because of Appalachians, what we now scholars fancy call it sympathetic magic. But that's not what they called mm. it back then. They just mm. were actual beliefs. Some, they might have called them superstitions on their worst day, but they really believed this stuff, right? Axe, an axe used to be put under the mattress of a laboring woman to cut the pain in half. Oh. Because objects were believed to have spirits. This is a big thing that comes from like Scottish magic, like the fae folk and everything. Everything yeah. has a spirit. It's animism, which comes from the mm-hmm. British Isles. It's a pre-Christian belief. And it's something yeah. that I really feel strongly about that. that uh, for me, it's living things. Plants, bodies of water. I try and recognize the spirit that lives in all of those things. But it mm-hmm. was really extended in the old days to even objects. Even I know this thing has a spirit. <laughs> I'm holding my cell phone. <laughs> Uh, that yeah. thing's definitely alive. But they're looking at an axe and saying, what is the axe's job? The axe's job is cutting things. And so maybe the spirit of that axe will cut my pain in half. Right? Mm. So that's an old Southern oh. superstition is that objects, yeah, carry the spirit. But yeah, so in Appalachia, they had things like that for pain that weren't just like you and I think we're spending time talking about the really clever and sensible things that these women were doing. Like they figured out that yarrow root would really help or yarrow flower would help with something. And that's awesome. And yes, they did do that. But on the other hand, Mm -hmm. they also had these more spiritual, more superstitious practices where they were doing things like amulets and talismans and everyday Mm -hmm. objects to bring forth magic to make it better. Because you're right. The doctors were not coming to your door at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how they were just super practical about it. They're like, yeah, cut. We're going to cut the pain in half. Duh. Yeah. This makes perfect sense. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> yes. And yeah. also them. And it, yes. In addition to doing all, like we said, just all that cool shit, like with all this 
herbalism, they also did charms and they did amulets. And if somebody was like, my husband won't stay at home, he's out here philandering, they would make a little something to help your husband stay at home. Or if you couldn't get pregnant or you didn't want to get pregnant or you wanted a little love charm, they would do this kind of stuff all the time. And it's pretty, and they knew what to do. They knew what to say and they had spells and rituals in addition to doing like more quote unquote professional stuff. They did all that stuff too. Yeah. This is what, yeah, this is how people got along and it really helped them out. So I just love these women. I think they're really cool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And Me everybody too. get a chance. Yes. Get a chance to read more about them. I put some links in the show notes. Okay. So now we're going to have a story time. Oh. And today's, yes, it's very exciting. Today's story is one, and I was like, ooh, what? So there's a podcast. It's called this Southern Gothic Podcast. And they tell different stories. And I found this story on there. I put a link to it. And I love it. And it's in Tennessee. So I was like, oh, perfect. We're going with the Tennessee theme. <laughs> so this is a story of the Bell Witch. Have you heard of the Bell Witch? You got to buy my deck. Okay, I do have to get your deck. I don't have it. <laughs> I know. You just told me you don't have it because there's a double card. Okay, yay. Yes. I never heard this story, but I actually quite liked it. Yeah, yes. good. And it goes Isn't along it? right with what we've been talking about, so go. Okay, so in the early 1800s, this guy, John Bell, he moved with his family from North Carolina to Red River, Tennessee, which is now Adams, Tennessee. His family bought some land and they, it was, everything was really good. John Bell became the elder of the church there and his wife, he came there with four kids and then he had three more kids when he was there. Everybody was in a good mood. Everybody enjoyed living where they were living. I don't now, believe that part. Yeah. I know, it all, probably wasn't that. Nobody was in a good mood in the 18th century in Tennessee. Literally nobody. Even, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> I don't know what idiot wrote that. Everybody was in a bad mood. Have you seen an 18th century Tennessee cabin? Please continue. <laughs> okay, so they were probably not in that creative of a mood because they were everyone's living in a log pissed. cabin. Everyone's angry. Everyone's menstruating all over their inner thighs. Everyone's mad. <laughs> Oh, God. They have they to have wash, fevers. like, the same rag every day. They're eating oh, lima beans had a... every day. No. You know how no babies and... <laughs> you know how kids always have, like, random fevers? <laughs> I think that was just the 1800s. It's like, everyone had yes. a fever all the time. All the time. And... <laughs> and the, and the, always, like, the remedy for everybody is to be laying in bed. And I'm like, I don't yes. know if that was good. <laughs> with, a, with an axe. With an axe. Ain't nobody got ginger like... ale. There's nothing. <laughs> no ginger ale. <laughs> nothing. Oh my they god. Have, they have fuck all. <laughs> so everybody was in a bad mood. They were all probably sleeping in one room. Yeah. Um, also that. Cause, yeah, because it's just awkward. And I don't know when their parents could have all these babies and have all this sex. Because mm -hmm. we're right there. But whatever. So... In 1817, our man John, the head of the household here, he was out checking his crops and he saw this weird ass animal and he said it had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. So he shot at it, but it disappeared. 
So fine. He went home and he's telling his wife, Lucy, I saw some weird shit outside. And she's, oh, really? Blah, blah, blah. Sit down and eat your lima beans. So they eat the lima beans. Yeah. <laughs> and then they heard someone's beating on the door of their cabin. So this kept going on all night. Now, the kids went to bed. And they said that they heard rats eating at their bedpost, but they would get up and look and there was no rats. They also felt like the sheets kept being taken off them all night. Then they started to hear a weird voice and it was like an old, it's like an old woman's voice that was talking and having full on conversations with people in the house. Apparently this entity just kept on with its fuckery. And then this entity also really hated Betsy. She's one of the daughters. And oh, it yeah. really didn't, yeah, it really didn't like Betsy. I don't didn't know what like Betsy John, did. Didn't like John, didn't like Betsy. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. It really hated John. Yeah. <laughs> so. First of all, this, I hate um, was saying that the entity. <laughs> I just do. He's not a sympathetic character. <laughs> no, he's not. He's <laughs> John, I don't know what John is out here doing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) So Betsy, Betsy was saying that it would pull her hair and it would leave welts and stuff. Mm -hmm. He he told his neighbor, his friend, James Johnston, he's James, this crazy shit's going on in my house. And James bet, okay, I'm coming over my wife and we'll sleep Mm -hmm. over and see what's going on. So they slept over. And they started to experience all this weird shit too. And then apparently one in the middle of the night, James Which got up for and sure said, was just Betsy. Yeah. <laughs> Betsy's in on all this. Betsy's, I love this story and this is my whole life. <laughs> I know Betsy, it gets weirder with Betsy. So J- Johnston, apparently he, James, he got up and said, in the name of the Lord, who are you? And what do you want? He got no answer, and then apparently the noises stopped. I don't know. I guess you just had to ask the entity what they wanted, and then they got mad. Anyway, apparently after James Johnston stayed over, he had a big fucking mouth because he went and told everybody about it. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) James is not your friend if you need to keep a secret about the witch in your house. Yes. James, I don't know what your problem is. So then... Apparently, I don't know, and this goes on, we talk about this later on, how this may not be true, but the story goes that Andrew Jackson, when he still was not like Andrew Jackson, the president, he was just like a military commander. Mm -hmm. He apparently came over the house to check it out. Apparently on their way there, like on the way, I think they lived, I don't know, on the way to their house, like the road there, the horses stopped at one point and they wouldn't keep going. And yeah. then Jackson, yeah, Jackson said, by the eternal boys, that must be the bell witch. And then they heard a voice say that they could keep going, that they could proceed. And all of a sudden the horses started to walk again. Okay. My theory um, on that, if those horses could detect evil spirits, then they yeah. wouldn't have been with Andrew Jackson. But please continue. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good point. Andrew Jackson's the devil. These like, horses, he's a bad dude. That is a bad man. Andrew Jackson, you guys, if anybody doesn't know why Andrew Jackson's a bad man, Google it. Yeah, Google it. Manifest destiny. Like, he's a horrible human person. I hope if these horses weren't picking up on that and they're just totally fine with all that bad juju, they're just like, yeah, let's go down the countryside. I don't know why they were stopping, but it wasn't because of (laughs) that. Go on. Yeah, he's a bastard. So, all of a sudden, okay. So, the horses started going. Then, 
Jackson and his men were at the house and they were chilling and I guess they were eating with the Bell family. All of a sudden, one of the men was saying, ha ha, I'm the witch tamer, blah, blah, blah. He was just talking a big game. Yeah. And then apparently he was like taunting the entity, probably being like, oh, you're a witch. Come out and fight me. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) and then all of a sudden he started getting the shit beat out of him. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. Here's my thing. I put the bell witch in my work as a symbol because again it's an oracle deck and it has to serve a purpose right so you need to draw this card and not just enjoy the story but you need to draw the card and get your own message from it because it's a deck right used for divination Mm -hmm. so what does the bell witch represent she represents blame and scapegoating because her story is so inconsistent with any halfway believable paranormal story because they call her the bell witch but then she's really being described as more of a shapeshifter but then it's, no, she was a woman. Her name was Kate, and she stole my shoes. And then it's, it was yes. just like, it was this. Oh, she's a wolf. That bitch is a wolf. I saw her, and she was a <laughs> raven. And so then it's like, y'all are just blaming each other in this town for shit. And every time shit goes down, oh, it was the bell witch who lives in the cave. <laughs> and it was just a good way of blaming somebody else and not taking any responsibility for your own actions. So that's what she represents yeah. in my day. Yeah. It makes sense because the story is yeah. very like weird and inconsistent. It and it goes yeah. on for like decades and it's still going on and it's still a place that you can go to. And there's a bell witch cave and there's tourist shops and there's t-shirts and there's all this stuff based on this story. That's full of holes. It's like, yes. you have so many ghosts in Tennessee and so many great <laughs> stories. And you're going to take this story that was so obviously just this weird family <laughs> they're a series of scapegoating stories and now it's a tennessee legend come on but yeah <laughs> it's yeah so it gets like you're saying it gets weirder and weirder okay andrew jackson went there with his peoples and then they all tried to stay the night but like by the time andrew jackson got up like all his men were like in town because they're like we're not staying in this house you're out of your mind. We're afraid of the Bell Witch or Betsy, whichever one it ends up being. Yeah. So, yeah, no. so then the, the, the entity kept fucking with the family and especially Betsy until Betsy, especially de- Betsy. decided, especially Betsy. Oh, yeah. Betsy decided to get married, but the entity told Betsy that she shouldn't get married. And then Betsy decided not to get married to the guy. And then all the problems stopped. So here's the thing. Betsy probably just didn't like this guy as much as she thought she did. And it's fine. Yeah. And like, whenever Betsy, Betsy didn't like something, it. she blamed Kate. Yeah. The bell witch. <laughs> Kate says, it was like me and my, it's like me and Herman. I've done this. I've been this person. I'd be like, Herman says it's not dinner time. Yeah. And, exactly. <laughs> It's really it. weird. Love yeah, girls, and then, man. Exactly. And like we said before, hated Betsy and I hated John, the dad. John's health began to decline. He started developing some like facial twitching and his mouth started moving around. But they think it may have been, I think they said like Bell's palsy or something yeah. actually that had happened to him, but it hadn't been diagnosed. They hadn't known that yet. So in December 20th, 1820, John Bell died. Now, this is, again, where it gets fucking weird. So they said that they were, like, cleaning out the house and stuff, and they found a, like, little container of dark liquid, but nobody knew where it had come from. So one of the sons had fed it to the cat, 
And then apparently they fe- the cat died. First of then all, why died. you f- yeah. yeah, why are you feeding anybody a random dark liquid that you found? It's weird. Don't do yeah. that. Worst don't cat it away. Yeah. Just throw it away. Why did you do that? So then after that happened, apparently somebody in the family, I don't know who, but somebody heard the voice say, I have old Jack a big dose of that last night. That fixed him. So now she's confessing the Bell Witch to the murder. Whatever. So now they said after John Bell died, everything calmed down a little bit. The entity told the widow Bell, so this is Lucy Bell, the wife, that it would leave in 1821, but it would be back in seven years. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then guess what? Seven years later, here comes the entity. Yeah, talking to, apparently this time it was talking to John Jr. about Christianity. Yeah, of course. Why not? Philosophy and gave him predictions about the American Civil War and other future events. So she also is a prophetess. That's cool. Claire from (laughs) Outlander. Exactly. It's just Claire. (laughs) She's a traveler. What if it's like the Bell Witch is literally just Claire from Alabama? That would be amazing. (laughs) It's just Claire trying to heal people from Outlander. Oh, God, that's so funny. So then apparently the spirit left again and it said it would come back in 107 years to speak to the most direct descendant of John Bell. In 1931... The most direct descendant was James Maury Bell, and he started to write a book, but then he died in 1945. So we don't know if it came back and talked to him or not. So now we talk about who was a Bell Witch. We don't know. So some people were like, maybe it's an indigenous spirit because there was a lot of struggles with the settlers there and fighting. Or they were like, maybe it was Kate. Who's Kate? We've been talking about Kate this whole time. So Kate was apparently a, quote, eccentric relative of the Bells who had previously stolen John's shoes, had some type of fight with John. So they didn't really like Kate and Kate didn't really like them. So guess what? The story's not over. I know you thought it was, but there's more shit happening. Yeah. So, it never ends. So it literally it goes to 2023. <laughs> It actually does. It's still going. So you're like, you might be like, why do we know all this shit? I'll tell you. So there was this dude. His name was Martin Van Buren Ingram. And he was hanging around. He was part of the Civil War. He got discharged. He began his writing career in 1866. But he didn't have any previous experience. Then in 1868, he moved to Clarksville, which is near, I think, where, near where all this happened. Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Yep, and, near. Okay, so he moved there, and he ended up buying, like, the local newspaper, and mm. he owned it until, yeah, it, the called the Clarksville Tobacco Leaf in February 1869. Anyway, so around the time he ended up in Clarksville, he started going around to the neighbors because he heard this story probably in a bar. I feel like that's where everybody hears a story. Everyone um, hears a story like this in a bar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're and like, he, and you want to hear this? Some- took place in Adams, which is close by. So I'm sure he's. We are going to make this a thing. Yeah, he went to the local pub there and he heard this story and he's that shit sounds wild. And I own a newspaper, so right. So I'm gonna profit off this shit. So he went and he listened to people who had been around now, all this stuff had started in like the early 1800s. Now it's the 
like later part of the right. 1800s. So a lot of people who were actually there when it happened were dead. But so exactly. he got like, which is yeah, perfect. Exactly. It's, it's like, perfect. This is a perfect situation. There's just Someone... one little old lady who remembers a little bit, and then you can like add to the veracity of the whole story because Aunt Edna yes. remembers this. And this one guy said that. Every, yeah, exactly. That's the perfect timing. Yes. Exactly. It was probably like somebody's granddad told them this story mm-hmm. one time. So he found out all this stuff, and then he local he published a book. And let me tell you, the book, the name of this book is so long. So the name of the book is <laughs> An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch, The Wonder of the 19th Century, and the Unexplained Phenomenon of the Christian Era, the Mysterious Talking Goblin that Terrorized the West End of Ro- Robertson <laughs> County, Tennessee, Tormenting John Bell to His Death, The Story of Betsy Bell, Her Lover, and the Haunting Sphinx. Jesus wow. Christ. <laughs> that sounds... Absolutely nothing like P.T. Barnum at all. <laughs> dramatic. I'm like, wow, that sounds like a really sensible man. <laughs> this is not sensational at all. Oh then- my God, how Tennessee has not changed. <laughs> so, so apparently, in the introduction to the book, he said he got a letter from a guy named James Allen Bell, who is the son of Richard William Bell, who was the son of John One Bell of Sr. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he said it's the grandson. He got this letter in July 1st, 1891, and it explains <clears throat> about his father talking to him about the Bell Witch, even yeah. though they figured out, though, like his father was like the youngest one. So yeah. when so all this stuff like, happened... He didn't kill the cat, but he was there. Yeah. <laughs> But his dad would have been mad young. So they were like, I don't know if that actually happened. The other problem was the thing about that letter is we don't know if it was a real letter. Like it could have been easily fabricated. fabricated. (laughs) So this is part of the letter that apparently this guy wrote. Now, nearly 75 years have elapsed, the old members of the family who suffered the torments having all passed away, and the witch story still continues to be discussed as widely as the family's name is known under misconceptions of the fact, I have concluded that in justice to the memory of an honored ancestry and to the public also whose minds have been abused in regard to this matter, it would be well to give the whole story to the world. So... The other thing is, he was like, oh, he wrote me this letter, but told me that I can't actually publish it till everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. And was like, bro, what? I don't know how anybody was like, that doesn't sound fishy as hell. So I know. It's the uh, birth of American <laughs> journalism, basically. All of Exactly. So then apparently when they tried to publish the book, the witch apparently came to the publisher and she started fucking up shit over there. <laughs> Apparently she permission to use that photo. Here's a better one. <laughs> exactly. So apparently she was at the publisher. The publishing machines were getting messed up. Everybody was nervous. Um, and everybody ran away. Yeah, but they still did it. So the couple things that people are like, we don't think that some of this happened. Number one, people are like, if all this happened, so why didn't anybody write about it before? If you know, this is the 1800s. Everybody's bored as hell. Life is hard. Don't you think they would have been a bigger deal about this if this had actually happened? 
So there's that. Then the other thing is that some people just think Ingram made up the letter and he just made up that he sensationalized maybe a small story that he had heard. People said Andrew Jackson probably never came to the house. It's probably a lie. John Bell probably had a degenerative disease such as like a muscular disease such as like MS or a palsy or something and they think maybe that's but it hadn't been diagnosed and people said that betsy was a big ass liar they said that she right. was constantly yeah they said she was telling tales all the time that is so clear so clear <laughs> betsy shut up betsy, shut up, betsy. <laughs> i think betsy just didn't like her family Seriously? and then she got engaged to a guy and realized she didn't like him that much either she's oh sorry the bell witch says i can't marry you oh, meanwhile betsy's I like can't. i just don't like it yeah <laughs> she or she just realized that this guy like didn't brush his teeth as much as she liked which is i can't marry this which guy. is like none <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Because so, again, 18th, I, early 1800s, and we're all miserable. Oh, period. everybody's so unhappy, so it's fine. Oh, can I, I read don't know. you what we wrote in the what I wrote in the booklet for? Yes, the, please do. The Bell Witch is scapegoating and blame, as I mentioned. That's what the card represents. <laughs> and I tell a brief. My my book's only five inches tall, so I could not tell the story as long as you did. So you <laughs> brought me a lot of details. Yeah. I forgot. But I basically <laughs> summed it up that there was this whole litany of complaints at the house. And then I end it with the following lesson for when you pull mm-hmm. the card. The Bell Witch card in the Southern Gothic Oracle represents scapegoating and blame. In the historic accounts of the Bell Witch, the litany of complaints reveals more about the blamers than it does about the witch. In their worst moments, people blame someone or something for their troubles, like the devil or trickster in other folktales. Why do we tend to blame or shame others? If you draw the Bell Witch card, examine whether or not you are inadvertently casting blame elsewhere when the right thing to do is to fess up to your own shortcomings. Mm, Betsy. Betsy. <laughs> We're looking at you, Betsy. <laughs> but it's true. Everybody's complaining about random shit. John Sr. is saying that all this stuff is happening. Betsy's lying. Then Mr. Ingram goes and writes his false-ass book. So, like, it's just a mess. I want you to include a link, though, to the painting I did because the illustration I did for this card. So I painted all of the illustrations in the deck. They're all hand-painted. And I need, and I'm also doing a tarot right now where I'm doing hand-painted characters. And so I've been looking for models. I'm always looking for models. I meet people and I'll be like, you're a really good queen of swords. I think. But anyway, so I have already had my Southern Gothic Oracle Instagram and there were people there who had already bought the deck because the Bell Witch is part of an expansion pack. It came later. So there was this young woman who had already bought the deck and who would like my, I don't know her at all, but she had, I do now, but I didn't then. And she would comment on my post and be like, I love this deck and say nice things. And her handle was at Bell Witch. And it was really cute. And she's, young and beautiful she's got beautiful like bouncy red hair and i couldn't help noticing her that she's called bell witch and i was currently like researching bell witch right and i need a model mm-hmm. so i'm like lurking on her instagram trying to find pic- personal pictures of her because she lives in nashville and she works at a metaphysical mm. store there that i'm familiar with and that i patron patronize so i was like i'm just gonna ask her like i'm just gonna dm this girl even if it sounds weird And so I wrote her name's Ellie and I'm like, hi, I'm the maker of the Southern Gothic Oracle and I'm doing an expansion pack of these Southern witches and ghosts and stuff. And one of the ones I want to do is the Bell Witch. And she wrote back and she's, oh, that's great. I love the Bell Witch story, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, but this might be a little forward. (laughs) 
I want you to be the model for the Bell Witch. And she was like, oh my God. And she was like so <laughs> yes. excited. She wanted to drop everything and drive to my house like in that moment. Her enthusiasm was so like infectious. And then she was like, do you need any other models? And so her boyfriend, Jake, ended up being my Mothman. So Jake is okay. Mothman and Ellie is the Bell Witch. And we had <gasps> so much fun doing that photo shoot. They oh came in God. costume and everything. And in the picture... Ellie is holding, she didn't bring one with her, but I later painted it in, a little poison bottle that has the dark liquid in it. Okay. So she's all sexy in like a corset and skirts kind of yes. ripped. And then she's got the little, she's almost like a Wild West babe, but like the Tennessee version. And then she's got okay. this little bottle of poison liquid. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm really proud of it. Yes. I know what I'm going to be buying this Friday when I get paid. Yes. I love it. <laughs> but I can um, send you a graphic just to post for people to see. Oh, yeah, I would love to do that, and I'll definitely do that. I'll post it on Instagram and stuff. Um, So that comes to the end of the – this brings us to the end of our show. This has been tons of fun. I'm going to find a better list for next time we speak about Memphis Barbecue because I don't want to piss off my new buddy, Stacy. Us too, (laughs) because, see, if you come to Memphis, I'll take you to all the good barbecue places. Okay, sounds good. All right. I love it. It's a plan. I'll figure it out. So Stacey, tell us where we can find you, anything that you're doing right now that you want to talk about so people can get into your work and see what you do. Absolutely. I am at, my name is pronounced Stacey Williams Ung. My last name is Williams hyphen NG. And it's because my Asian husband has an unusual name, but it's pronounced Ung. And so you can find me on Instagram at stacy.williams. I also would encourage you to look at La Panthere Studios, which is my publishing company. La mm-hmm. Panthere is where Southern Gothic Oracle came out of. I recently just did another deck called Roses, Dust, and Ashes that's all about cemetery symbolism. And then Ooh. I did, I worked with Nancy Hendrickson, who was your recent guest, and we collaborated to do the Ancestral Magic Divination Kit. Yay! Yeah! Yes, actually, she's actually a guest later on in the, we're going to do her episode probably closer to Halloween. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, okay. I knew it wasn't out yet, but I I thought we'd already recorded it. That's cool. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Not yet. Yeah. We're going to put links to all that stuff will be in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Yeah. So thank you so much, Stacey, for coming and chit-chatting with me. Thank you, Ashley. This was so fun. Yes, this is so fun for me, too. And talking about the Bell Witch and grannies and all that kind of stuff. It's been such a good time. And Janet Um, Jackson and Elvis. Yes, and Elvis (laughs) and how your dad went to school with him and peanut butter sandwiches with bananas. So many things. It's been such a good time. So, everybody, thank you guys, too, for listening. Again, we're dying with the divine on all the socials. And if you like us, give us a rating on your platform of choice. And if you want to email me, again, it's dyingwiththedivinepod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm Sankofa HS or Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you next week. I hope you have a fantastic week. And thanks for being your awesome selves, everybody. Okay, bye!